I'm in a series that I started last Sunday on Be Free, uh, how you can break free from all the habits and hurts and sins and hang-ups that are messing up your life. The real question is this, how do I get God's power in my life to change? Because as we learned last week, you can't change yourself. Okay, You can't do it. Uh, try the best you can, and you still can't change yourself. It takes God's power to change your life. Only His power can set you free. And so last Sunday, we realized and learned that, number one, A, we have to acknowledge that we have a problem. And the problem that we have is a sin problem. Then B, believe that Jesus can set us free from that problem. And C, confess Him as Lord and Savior of our life. And if we do that, God can set us free. And that is my prayer for you today, that you be set free from all the sins, all the hang-ups, all the bad habits that are messing up your life. We're going to take another step down that path this morning as we talk about the cure for your eye problem. All right, The cure for your eye problem. It's found in James chapter 4, verse 6. And here is what the Word of God says, James 4, 6. God resists the proud. Let me stop just a second and talk about the word resist. A better word would be opposes. God opposes the proud. God resists or opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And grace is the power to change. The Bible tells us here that the key to power in your life is humility. When we humble ourselves, God gives us grace. And that grace is the power to change. The key barrier to power in your life is pride. When I am full of pride, when I am full of myself, when I think I have all the answers, then I can't change. But when I humble myself before God, God gives me this big dose of His grace, and that grace has the power to change your life. Now really, there are two kinds of pride talked about in the Bible. There is the good pride. Good pride is self-respect and dignity, satisfaction and a job well done, joy in seeing others succeed. That's the good kind of pride. And there's nothing wrong with that. Bad pride is what we really are more familiar with. Conceit, arrogance, egotism. Somebody said that egotism is the only kind of disease that when you've got it, it makes everybody else sick. That kind of bad pride. You know, there are a lot of great athletes and stars uh, who are really not known for their humility. I can go back as a kid and, and remember Muhammad Ali. Man, he, he was one of the worst. Uh, one time Muhammad Ali was on an airplane and he refused to fasten his seatbelt. Well, the stewardess came up to ask him to fasten his seatbelt and he looked at her and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And quickly she said back to him, Superman don't need no airplane. So put your seatbelt on. Now how many of you would say, I know somebody, or I've met somebody, or I work with somebody who has an ego problem? On the other hand, how many of you would say, I am truly a humble person? 
Don't answer that, all right? Here's the deal. Pride is easy to see in other people's lives, right? But it's really hard to see in my own life. Now, I've got a lot of subpoints to this, but there are two main things that we want to talk about today. The first is this. The Bible says that pride causes all kinds of problems in my life, okay? Pride will cause all kinds of problems in your life. I'm going to mention three of them this morning. First of all, pride prevents me from growing. Pride will keep you from becoming the person that God wants you to be. When the head starts swelling, the mind stops growing. If you think you don't need this message, (laughs) you need this message, all right? Proverbs 26.12 declares, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Talking about a man full of pride. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He's talking here about the denial of pride. Pride that causes me to deny that I have any weaknesses, any faults, any failures, any problems, or any sin in my life. I've heard people say, well, if I knew my faults, I'd be glad to work on them. Just don't know any. That kind of attitude is an attitude of pride. And let me tell you, that is keeping you from growing. When you think you know it all, you're not going to listen to anybody. Why? You think you know it all. Proverbs 10, 17, He who keeps instruction is on the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Pride keeps me from getting the help that I need. Now let's say you have marriage problems. Right? But you're not willing to admit that. You're not willing to get the help that you need to make your marriage better. Do you know what that is? It's pride. It's pride. When you've got financial problems and you won't get any help to make those problems better, that's simply pride. When you're not cutting it as a parent, and you know you're not, but you're not willing to admit it and get help to become a better parent, that's nothing more than pride. When you're not making it at work and you don't want anybody to know about it, that's pride. It's keeping you from growing. It's keeping you from getting to the next level and being a better person. You know what? We would rather look smart than be smart, wouldn't we? The way you be smart... (laughs) is by being humble. One of the ways you can tell if you've got pride is to ask yourself, am I teachable? Am I teachable? Pride prevents me from going because you think you know it all. (laughs) You don't, man. You don't. I remember reading or listening to a great preacher, a guy who has built a huge mega church. And he called together some, uh, some other pastors of, of churches that were really exploding with growth. This was numerous years ago when, when mega churches just began to happen. And so they had this small meeting of these uh, pastors of these really large churches. And one of the preachers they invited to come is the granddaddy of them all. Before any of them had a big church or knew about it, this was the big church. First Baptist Dallas, W.A. Criswell. By this time, W.A. Criswell was, was an old man, and he was in the room with all of these young preachers who were building these great churches. 
But First Baptist was a great church before these churches were ever started. But here's what this young pastor said. I was amazed at Dr. Criswell. He had a notepad in hand and a pen, and he was writing down as fast as he could everything that we were talking about. When one of the pastors said, this is what's working for us, he was writing it down. When another said, this is what's working in our church, he was writing it down. And instead of sitting back thinking, oh, boys, I've done it all. I know more than you'll ever know about church growth. He was eager to learn. You know what prevents that? Thinking you know it all. (laughs) Pride prevents me from growing. Number two, pride poisons my relationships. The root of all conflict and disharmony is pride. Proverbs 13.10, By pride comes nothing but strife. When my pride is in competition with your pride, there is going to be a clash, right? The root of so many of your marriage problems is just plain old pride. You are not willing to admit that your partner, or let me just put it like this, I am not willing to admit that she may be partially right. Right? Thank you, Jason. You know what the antidote for that is? Matthew 7, 5. Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, First remove the plank that is in your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. When I refuse to admit that I'm part of the problem, then it causes pride. And that pride is going to harm relationships. So many family conflicts could be resolved, but we don't want to admit our pride. Right? (laughs) Oh, tough crowd, man. Let me tell you something, parents, because I am one. I can speak with authority on this subject. We are not always right. You know it? Can I tell you something? Daughters, would you please plug up your ears? It is hard to admit to your 15-year-old that she was right and you were wrong. But when you fail to do that, you are allowing pride to destroy a relationship that is precious. I have seen pride destroy churches because either members or The pastor or someone in the church was not willing to admit that they were wrong and conflict grew, it festered, and there was division in the church. The key to reconciliations, on the other hand, is simply to swallow your pride. You ever done that? It doesn't taste very good, but it's (laughs) non-fattening and it's pretty low in calories. Pride causes all kinds of problems in our life. It prevents me from growing. It poisons relationships that I have with other people. And number three, pride produces a whole lot of stress and anxiety. Pride causes discouragement. Pride causes depression. Pride causes disillusionment. Again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek. I love the newer translations. All of the new translations say it like this. Happy 
are the humble. Say that with me, would you? Happy are the humble. Humility is the mark of an emotionally healthy person. Pride is the mark of emotionally insecure people. If I have to prove something to you, it means that I am insecure on the inside. Emotionally healthy people aren't concerned about status or image or pride or ego. They have found their satisfaction and fulfillment elsewhere. And the ultimate satisfaction is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the real question becomes, how can I be both happy and humble? Because that's what Jesus said, happy are the humble. Humility and happiness go hand in hand. Remember where we started, James chapter 4? God gives grace to the humble. And grace is what? Grace is God's power to change. If you want to change something that is wrong in your life, it all starts with humility. So in order for me to be happy, I must first be humble. How do we do that? How does that happen? Four things this morning. Here we go. You ready, kids? Man, I'm telling you, the first service is creaming you today on enthusiasm. I don't know what's wrong, but here we go. If you have any of that five-hour stuff in your purse or pocket, pull it out. You need it. Here's, here's how we do it. Here's how we become both happy and humble. Number one, I admit my weaknesses honestly. I'm going to catch a bunch of us right here. All right? I admit my weaknesses honestly. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Wow. That's what God says. If I don't admit my weaknesses, my hang-ups... My faults, my failures, my sins. I can't work on any of that stuff. I'm pretending that that doesn't exist when in reality that is keeping me down. Some of you may have heard about the man who admitted to his wife, Honey, I think I am guilty of the sin of vanity. She said, How in the world could you be guilty of the sin of vanity? He says, Well, it's like this. Every time I see a mirror, I look into it and I think, What a hunk. She said, darling, that is not sin. That is mere stupidity. Yeah. I know a lot of you who might pray, God, if I've sinned today, please forgive me. Trust me, you don't have to say if. You have weaknesses. You have faults. You have failures. It's there, man. Some of you say, when I confess to God, I can't think of anything to confess. Well, just start guessing. Because you're bound to hit something sooner or later. Huh? Humility starts by being honest about my weaknesses. You know what? Here's the deal. Listen to me. I don't have it all together. I'm talking about me, Will, your preacher, your pastor of 15 plus years. I don't have it all together. And neither do you. I will say this, after 51 years, I've started picking up on some of them. <laughs> I've started realizing what some of my weaknesses are and my faults. And here's what I've come to realize. I can't fix these problems by myself. I've tried for 51 years. I can't do it. 
The only thing that can fix these problems about me is the grace of God. And for that to happen, I have to humble myself and say, God, I've got a problem. And I need your help to fix it. There it is. Admit your weaknesses honestly. Number two, how to be happy and humble. I evaluate my strengths realistically. I heard about the little girl who went into an ice cream parlor. She ordered the biggest ice cream cone that they had. And the waitress said, are you sure you can eat all of that ice cream? And the little girl said, yes, I'm much bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Pride is when we pretend that we are much bigger on the outside than we are on the inside. And we're trying to become something or be something that we're not. Galatians 6.4 says this, Let each one of you examine your own works. Did you get that? Let each one of you test or examine your own works. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone without comparing himself to somebody else. He's talking about the good kind of pride in the first part of this verse. Self-esteem, satisfaction in life. You can take pride in yourself for a job well done. And that's what he's saying. Let each one of you examine your own work. Then you can have rejoicing in yourself. But then notice the danger at the end of the verse without comparing yourself to somebody else. He says you can take pride in yourself as long as you are not comparing yourself. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Really, there are two problems when we start comparing ourselves with other people. First problem is this. Most of us, when we start comparing, we're going to find somebody who's not quite as good at that particular thing as we are. And so we compare ourselves to them. Right? Whatever it is. Cooking, baking, sewing, shopping, playing golf, shooting guns, preaching. Whatever it is. You know what? I I am not a great athlete. My kids are great athletes. They get it from their mama, not from daddy. I was always just okay in sports. I could play every sport just kind of middle of the pack, just kind of okay. I could do it, but, you know, I could dribble, but I couldn't dribble between my legs. You know? Just okay. But you know what? If I'm going to compare my basketball ability to somebody, I want to find somebody that I'm better than. If I can beat you in a game of horse, I'm comparing myself to you. You know what that kind of comparison does for you, though? It fills you with pride. You think you're better. The other kind of comparison is when you compare yourself to someone who is better than you. They can do something more efficient than you or more effective than you. They're better than you. And you get full of discouragement when that happens because you start feeling down on yourself. Either way, it's going to kill you. So the Bible says don't compare yourself to other people. Really, I'm going to give you the, 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 the Texas terminology of what the Bible says about this. The Bible says, Texas version, it's dumb to compare yourself with other people. Don't do it. Why? Because you're unique. 
God made you, you. There is nobody like you. Just like no two snowflakes are the same. You are you. And if you don't be you, who is going to be you? Don't compare yourself to other people. So how can we be happy and humble? Number one, I admit my weaknesses honestly. Number two, I evaluate my strengths realistically. You know what? I'm good at some things, but I'm not good at everything. When you get full of pride, just go make a list of all the things that you can't do. Everybody is ignorant, just in different subjects. So don't compare. Again, Galatians 6, 4 says, examine yourself, test yourself. You need to give yourself a regular examination where you're honest about your own weaknesses and realistic about your own strengths. That's how you become happy and humble. Now we're going to change gears, but we're going to keep on the same theme. How do I become happy and humble? Number three, I serve others unselfishly. I become a servant. Philippians 2, 3 and 5 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or of vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Real humility, folks, is not thinking poorly of yourself. Real humility is not walking around saying, I'm lousy. I'm junk. I'm nothing. No, that's not what it is. It's just thinking more about other people than you do of yourself. You get the focus off of my needs, my desires, my hurts, my wants, and you focus on what other people need. Really, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is simply thinking less about yourself. You just don't think about yourself because you're focused on how you can help somebody else. What you can do to better someone else's life. And isn't that what Christianity is all about? Isn't that why God left us here after He saved us? Isn't that why God gave every one of you a spiritual gift when you received Jesus as your Savior? That's what the Bible says. You're all gifted. Why? Well, it's not for your own ego. I can guarantee you that. The Bible says God gave you gifts so that you can serve each other and edify the body of Christ. Our model for this, serving others unselfishly, Jesus Philippians, it says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine Jesus traveling down the streets of Jerusalem on his Camelac? Come on, people. With a bumper sticker that says, I'm number one? Or can you imagine Jesus walking down the coast of the Sea of Galilee with His disciples saying, We're cool. We're cool. No. No, that is the message, man. <laughs> thank you, Jake. That's how it would read in the message. All right, thank you. Jason, I'm glad you sit up here and help me as I'm preaching. Jesus was the most emotionally healthy person who has ever lived. 
Because he didn't have to prove anything to anybody. And because of that, he was set free to serve people. Insecure people can't serve others because they're too consumed and worried about their own needs. A prideful person only thinks of themselves. So we need to start thinking of others. I don't know how many different ways to say this. Take your eyes off yourself and put it on somebody else. If you're going through depression this morning, maybe one of the things you need to do is just lighten up a little bit on all this introspection stuff and start focusing on other people. That was Jesus' advice. Jesus was the most emotionally healthy person who ever lived. And you know what Jesus did? He gave himself away. He gave himself for you. So if you want to be happy and, and humble, serve others unselfishly. And then suggestion number four. If you're going to be happy and humble, you must humble yourself voluntarily. James 4.10, that's where we started, James 4.6. I'll remind you of that verse. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Verse 7 goes on to say, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Then listen to verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Isn't that amazing? Humility is a choice. Humility is an action. Humility is something that you do. The word there is a verb. It's something you do. If you were to read through the entire Bible, not one time does it say that you are to ask God to humble you. Now God can humble you. And sometimes God does humble you. But here's what the Bible says. It says, humble yourself. It's something you do yourself. It is a choice that you make. It is choosing the way that I think, the way I act, the way I respond to others. The things that I say, it's a choice. I choose to think, act, speak in a humble way. And why does God say, humble yourself? Because that's the first step it takes in receiving the grace that can change your life. So God forces us to humble ourselves. He's, I'm not going to humble you. You humble yourself. If you're going to come to me, you must do it yourself. But then there's this promise. He says if you humble yourself, God's going to lift you up. Isn't that a paradox? God is saying the way up is down. The more I humble myself, the, the more God lifts me up. The more honest I am about my weaknesses and my sin and grateful about the success and recognizing where the source is, the more God is going to lift me up. The opposite of that is also true. He says the way up is down, but also the way down is up. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. 
We see this happening all around us in government, in sports, in, 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 in popular figures. They, they prove this verse time and again. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a fall. The moment I start getting filled with pride, I'm setting myself up for a fall. The moment I think I've got it all together, when I start pretending that I've got all the answers, I am setting myself up for a huge fall. Isaiah 14 tells us that it was pride, listen to me, it was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's the sin that will keep you out of heaven. Proverbs chapter 6 tells us that there are seven things that God hates. Now, I mean, if the, if the Bible says, here's, here's seven things God hates, I want to pay attention to that. All right? And the number one thing on the list that God hates, guess what it is? You got it, it's pride. God hates it. God can't stand it. Why? Because it refuses to be helped. Augustine, the great church father, said pride is the root sin. It's the main sin. It's where all other sins grow. It says that I am God. I am my own God. I don't need anybody else to tell me what it's all about. I can run, are you in my own life? No, you can't. You can ruin your own life. But you weren't made to run your own life. I think the worst thing about pride is that it cuts, it cuts off all the wonderful things that God wants to do in our life. All the great promises that are in the Bible, all the wonderful things that God wants to do for you, all the things He wants to set you free from, your pride is cutting all that off. Here's what the Bible says about your salvation. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of your works. One of the newer translations says, so that nobody can brag about it or boast about it. Can you imagine? Just try to imagine this. What, what heaven would be like if you worked your way to get into heaven? Then you bragged about it. It wouldn't be heaven, that'd be hell. Everybody would be bragging. Now God says there's only one way to get God's power in your life to change and the promise of heaven, and that is to accept His gift, His gift of grace. You humble yourself before God, God will extend to you His grace, and that grace has the power to change your life. Back when I first started preaching, I really struggled writing sermons. You think after all these years, I still struggle with it. I do, all right? But, I mean, I can remember struggling. I had all these, these little books of sermon illustrations, these can illustrations. I'd read these books all the time, try to find a cool illustration. I remember in my little office at the Western Hills Free Will Baptist Church in, in Fort Worth when I first started preaching, I had this, you know, 6,000 illustrations, and I was reading through there. came across this can story. It's about a, a, a Baptist preacher and his little boy little boy followed his dad around all the time. He was kind of his dad's helper. When his dad preached, he would sit on the front pew. And he had a little buddy who would always sit with him. One Sunday morning, it was Easter, big crowd. The, the town drunk came to church that day. It was the only Sunday he came to church Easter. He, he, he was just, everybody in town knew that he was the biggest sinner in town. But he came to church on Easter. And that particular Sunday, when this little boy's daddy preached, gave the invitation, guess who came to the altar? 
Are y'all listening to me? It was the biggest sinner in town, the town drunk. He came to the altar. Everybody got excited. A lot of people came around and started praying for him. The little buddy of the preacher's son looked at his buddy, the preacher's son, and said, Wow, isn't that great? The town drunk is getting saved right here. Little boy who was the preacher's son shook his head and said, No, he's not. Little buddy said, Well, how do you know he's not getting saved? He's at the altar. Preacher said, Well, just look at him. He's only on one knee. The can illustration. But I think the little boy knew something. Something we need to know. If you really want your life changed, if, if you want the stuff that you've messed up fixed, it takes humility. It takes swallowing your pride, admitting to God, God, I've got a problem. I've tried to fix this problem. I can't do it. I desperately need your help. It starts right there when you admit that. And then believe that Jesus can save you, change your life. His grace is sufficient. And then you just confess Him as Lord of your life. You confess that problem to Him. You ask Him for His help. Guess what's going to happen when you humble yourself before God? His grace is going to change you. His love is going to lift you up. And you can leave this building different than when you came here. It's all because of grace. And you, humbling yourself. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would do that today. Uh, that, that we would acknowledge there's a problem, there's a need. That we would come this morning and humble ourselves in the sight of God. That we would bow our knees before you that we would admit the problem that we have and ask you for your help. Lord, there's, there's definitely somebody here today that needs to confess their sin to you for the first time and receive you as their Savior. And I pray that they would do that, Lord. Then for the rest of us who just have our own hang-ups and hurts and faults and failures that are continually keeping us down and messing up our life, Lord, may we just get tired of all that today and, and bring that problem to you and humble ourselves at the altar, give you our problem, and ask you for your grace. Lord, I know that you are more than sufficient to meet our needs. I pray that we would just acknowledge that and come and receive your gift today. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed?